Good morning, Mission Hill Church. My name is Brenton, and I am one of the pastors here at Mission Hill. Is my is this mic really loud? Is this okay? Keep going? Okay, perfect. And uh, I've been given the opportunity to preach to you all this morning. Uh, as I said, my name is Brenton, and uh, I am married. Some of you know this, some of you may not, but I am married to a wonderful woman. Her name is Bree. She's sitting up here in the front row. Thank you. She's awesome. Yeah. That was Krista clapping for you. And uh, she's, she's awesome. And when we first started dating, it was probably a couple months after we started dating, uh, she came over to my parents' house. I was a commuter at college, and so I was still living with my parents. She came over one day, and we were hanging out. We had a lovely day. We were laughing and joking and just being like a couple in the early stages of being a couple. And uh, the, the, day, the, the end of the day came to a close, and it was time for me to take her back to her dorm. And so we went out to the garage, we got in my car, and I turned the car on, I threw it in reverse, and as I turned to look back, I, I caught sight of her face. And I just, I just got lost in her beautiful brown eyes. And she, I, she smiled, and I, I just, it was a gorgeous smile, and I got lost in that, and my mind started drifting to, you know, all the, like, we're going to get married, and we're going to have kids, and started daydreaming a little bit, and little did I know that I had just tapped the gas pedal, and I shot backwards and hit our garage door and just left this giant dent in the garage door. And I found out that Brie actually knew that the door was down, but she didn't say anything to me because she thought I knew that the door was down. But the truth is, I was, I was distracted. I was, I was really distracted. And uh, I, I bring this up because today that's, that's going to be the main thrust of our passage is that Jesus is going to talk a lot about distractions. We're in Mark chapter 13, so if you'd like to, to turn there now, this would be a great time. But the, the truth is that distractions can be a really dangerous thing. Sometimes they can be harmless. You know, you're sitting in class and you're a little bored, and so your mind just starts trying to fill up the empty space and you start thinking about other things. But other times, distractions can be really dangerous, such as when you try to answer a text message while you're driving and you end up hitting a garage door, or you hit a car, or worse, you hit a person. In today's day and age especially, I think that distractions can be really dangerous for our spiritual life too. If we're constantly being distracted, our spiritual life can really get wrecked. And so that's going to be what Jesus has to share with us today, because Jesus, he takes distractions very seriously. Jesus will tell us that our faith and our mission and even our eternal state can ride on the weight of our distractions. And so that's what he has to say for us today. Jesus' point for us is this, that when the world falls apart, don't get distracted and keep preaching Jesus. When the world falls apart, don't get distracted. Keep preaching Jesus. So here at Mission Hill, we like to take a position of reverence when we read the Word of God. So I'm going to ask you to rise with me if you are able to read Mark chapter 13. We're going to be in verses 1 through 13 for now. So starting in verse 1, chapter 13. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. 
When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are about to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the, fa- and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, Lord, and thank you um, just that you're here with us in this moment. Lord, I, I pray for clarity of thought and clarity of speech. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would get me out of the way and that you would preach instead. May you prepare our hearts and our ears to hear what has to be said. May you continue to transform us into your image, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so as I said, we're in Mark chapter 13, and this is a super interesting chapter. This is known as the Olivet Discourse, and it's, it's got some end times stuff in it. And so if that interests you, you're in good company because the disciples were also interested in, in end times stuff. And so we're going to see that the disciples have two questions for Jesus. Jesus, being a good communicator, answers the first question first, but he's going to start off by saying what not to expect. And Jesus says, in a broken world, broken things happen. So to set the scene a little bit, Jesus and the disciples are coming out of the temple, and the disciples are marveling at it. Wow, this temple is beautiful. It's gorgeous. And Jesus has something very sobering to tell them. Jesus says, do you see this temple? It's going to fall. It's going to be destroyed. This would have been extremely sobering for the disciples. This wouldn't be the first time that the temple was destroyed. In the past, when the temple was destroyed, it was extremely traumatic for the nation of Israel because that's where God's presence dwelled with them. And so for the temple to be destroyed was a sure sign that God's presence had left the nation of Israel. And so naturally, disciples are curious. And so they ask Jesus two questions. They say, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that these things are about to be accomplished? On the outset, this can look like very similar questions, but we know from the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew chapter 24 that there's actually, these questions are actually a little, they're different. And we can know this because Matthew, it's widely believed that the author of the Gospel of Matthew was Matthew the disciple. Matthew was one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus. Matthew would have been here listening to the Olivet Discourse. So when you read Matthew chapter 24, you read the same question, but the question is, when will these things happen, and when will be the sign that you are about to return and the end will come? What might seem contradictory between two Gospels is actually not contradictory at all. Matthew is simply making explicit what Mark has kept implicit, and that is that the first question is about the fall of Jerusalem, and the second question is about when will the end come. This is really important, because we as readers of the Bible need to know when Jesus is going to make the shift between both questions. And so he starts off answering the first question by saying what it's not going to be. What is not going to be the sign that Jerusalem's going to fall? When's not going to be the sign that the end is coming? And Jesus says, when you hear of wars and you hear rumors of wars, famine, earthquakes, when you're delivered in front of people who have power and you're being persecuted for my name, when you hear of families being torn apart, 
don't panic. Don't be alarmed. The end is not yet. This stuff has to happen. He calls these things the birth pains. For any of you in here who have ever had children, I have it on good authority from my wife that it hurts when you have kids. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that it's, it's natural. The birth pains, it's natural to be in pain when you have children. In other words, in a fallen world, this stuff is just natural. In a broken world, broken things tend to happen. So Jesus is telling them, this stuff, it's not signs of the end. It's just terrible stuff happening in a terrible world. So don't, don't be ascribing, you know, end time signs to these things that just happen. And I know some of you might be asking the question, you know, what's, what's so wrong with saying that this event or that event might be a sign that Jesus is coming back? After all, doesn't it, doesn't it help me put my faith and my hope in the fact that Jesus is returning? And I think on the outset that that can look like it's the case, but I, I think that there's an underlying heart issue when you take that stance. For example, I'm someone who loves to be to places on time. Growing up, it was a surefire thing. It was written in stone that we were going to go to my grandma's on Christmas Day after we opened presents at our house. Set in stone. We were going to do it. But I, being so young, probably like seven, eight, or nine, I, I didn't really know, I never knew exactly when we were going to leave. And so after we'd opened presents, I'd spend the rest of that time trying to look and guess when are we leaving. And so like I would be hanging out, playing with my presents, and I would see my dad go into the bathroom. And I'd be like, this is it. Like, dad's going to go in there. He's going in there to shower because he knows we're going to grandma's. And he wants to smell nice. So he's going to go in there and shower. And so I'd start throwing my jacket on because we're about ready to go. And then my dad would come out a minute later because, you know, there are different things you can do in the bathroom other than go take a shower. And I would get really, I'd get really irritated with him because I'd be like, you know we're going to grandma's. You should be showering right now. What are you doing? Or like my mom would walk into the breezeway I'd be like, my mom's getting the car keys. Oh, we're getting ready to go. And so I'd, again, I'd throw my jacket on. I'd get ready to go. And I'd, I'd wait for her to be like, all right, let's pile in the car. And then she'd come back in the living room with like her slippers on. And I would get so mad at her. Like slippers are a sure sign that we're not going anywhere for a while. And I would just get really mad at her. Be like, you know we're going to grandma's. Why didn't you go get the keys? I spent so much time Christmas morning freaking out about when are we going to leave? When are we going to go to grandma's? And truth be told, I wasted a lot of opportunities. And that three hours, instead of guessing when we're going to leave and trying to interpret signs that aren't actually there, I could have been playing with my presents. I could have been watching the movies that I had just gotten for Christmas. And in a very real way, I think this is what happens to us whenever we try to ascribe end-time stuff to things that are not signs. Guys, we, we know that Jesus is going to come back. He told us this. He told us that he is going to return. And so for us, you know, whenever we, when we look at these broken things that happen, we say, oh, you know, tensions in the Middle East are really bubbly right now. World War III is about to start. Oh boy, get ready, here comes Jesus. Or when we see like a hurricane come through and it's the worst hurricane that's been here since we've started recording hurricanes and we think, oh man, like this, this is the worst hurricane that there's ever been. Jesus is coming back, we need to get ready. I think when we do that stuff, we stop putting our hope in Jesus' word and instead, what we're doing is we're trying to force him to return. When we start putting end time stuff on stuff that's not signs, we're trying to force Jesus to return. To trust Jesus is to trust him in his word, in his word alone. But to look at terrible things that are happening and to put end time stuff with it isn't to fully trust what Jesus said. 
In a broken world, broken things happen. It's just natural that wars and famine and earthquakes, all of these things are going to happen in a world that's been broken by sin. But Jesus tells us, don't, don't be alarmed. It's just terrible stuff being terrible. Instead of freaking out about it, we need to rest in the sovereignty of God and know that he will use these things for his glory. Jesus' charge to his disciples during this time is the same charge he has for us today. When you hear of wars or you hear of rumors of wars, don't panic. Preach the gospel. A few years ago, when we thought we were going to go to war with Iran, don't panic. It's not a sign of the end. It's just a broken thing happening in a broken world. Preach Jesus. Even when you look around today and you see the coronavirus that's happening, it's, it's awful. The coronavirus is horrible, and I wish just as much as you do that it would just disappear today. But it's not a sign of the end of time. In a broken world, there are pandemics that happen. And instead of saying, you know, this is the horseman of pestilence and revelation, we need to be remembering that this is just a broken thing happening in a broken world. It's okay to let it hurt. It's okay to say, you know what, I hate this. But in the midst of this, we need to remember to keep preaching Jesus, because otherwise it becomes a distraction. There are people out there who don't know that, there are people out there who think that this day in and day out kind of stuff of wars and earthquakes and famine, there are people who think that this is completely normal. There are people who don't know that God created a good world where this stuff wasn't meant to be. That there was a world created where there was no such thing as war, there's no such thing as sickness, there's no such thing as cancer and COVID. People don't know that we are the ones that broke this good world. And people don't know that while God should have abandoned us when we did that, he didn't. That he stayed and he sent his only son to do what we couldn't do. To live a life of perfect obedience. To die on a cross to atone for our sins so that when we put our trust and our hope and we give our lives to him, we have a place in his kingdom. People need to know that this stuff in a broken world is natural, but it was never meant to be this way, and that this terrible stuff has an expiration date. Jesus will come back. And in the meantime, we need to be preaching the gospel. In a broken world, broken things happen. Sometimes these broken things, though, are earth-shattering, which leads us to Jesus' second point, which is that when the world falls apart, don't get distracted. In verses 14 through 31, we read, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, but let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the, hill, on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. But alas for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. If the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. 
As soon as its branch comes, becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So Jesus has just spent a ton of time talking about what won't be the fall of Jerusalem or what won't be the signs of the end of the age. And I was going to tell them that what will be the sign that Jerusalem is about to be destroyed, and he gives this really cryptic sign, at least cryptic for us, the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. I could easily spend 20 minutes geeking out over what Jesus is talking about here, but for our sake, that's not going to be really helpful. Instead, what I will say is that Jesus fully believed that his disciples would recognize this when it happened. Apparently, at some point in the near future, after Jesus spoke this prophecy, someone would enter the temple, do something so abominable in God's sight, and that when the disciples see this happen, they need to run. Jesus says that this time is going to be worse than anything that has come before. This time of running, fleeing to the mountains is going to be so bad. This tr- it's going to be a tribulationary period for the people who live in Jerusalem. He tells them to run for the mountains. He tells them to leave your cloak, leave what you were doing, and go, and hope that you're not a pregnant woman during this time. It's going to be a time of great distress. It's going to be so bad that nothing before it was like it, nothing afterward will be like it either. And Jesus was dead on with this prophecy. As Peter alluded a couple weeks ago, Jerusalem fell in 70 AD at the hands of the Romans. And the destruction of the temple was so thorough that archaeologists today still don't really know where the temple was at. That's how complete they destroyed the temple. There was a Jewish historian at that time, his name is Josephus, and he wrote that the siege of Jerusalem was so complete and so thorough that parents were starving so much that they actually ate their own children. That's how horrible the fall of Jerusalem actually was. Jesus was dead on with this. And the the crazy thing is that Mark wrote this, and Mark would have been distributed before the fall of Jerusalem. In other words, there were Christians reading this prophecy before it took place. And because of this prophecy, because other disciples knew about what was going to happen, they did recognize the sign And many of them actually did flee to the mountains and were saved from this. In a way, Jesus was extremely vindicated by the fact that this came true in such horrifying fashion. Now compare and contrast this with what he just talked about. These things that are not the signs. We've got wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, plagues. These things aren't the signs, but they're, they're terrible. They're broken things happening in a broken world. But there is going to come a season where things are going to be really, really bad. They're going to be so bad that it's going to feel as though the world is falling apart. Some of you may have noticed that I I lumped verses 24 through 27 in with Jesus' answering of the question of the fall of Jerusalem. I'll read it again just so it's, it's in your mind, but in verse 24, Jesus says, But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. 
Typically, when you come up on this passage, there are, there are two camps. Because really, we can read this verse and we can feel like, wow, like Jesus has for sure transitioned from Jerusalem to the end times. And on a, on a, on a plain reading of the text, you wouldn't, I would not blame you at all for coming away with that. There are many people who are much smarter than me who say that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He's transitioned from talking about Jerusalem to talking about the end times. There's another camp, though, that says that Jesus hasn't transitioned at all, but instead what he's doing is he's talking about the fall of Jerusalem using something called apocalyptic imagery. Now, when we hear the word apocalypse, typically we think the end of time. And that's, that's what it means for us in 2020 in the West. But at that time, apocalypse simply meant to reveal. It was simply a way for Jewish prophets to talk about things that are happening now from an earthly perspective. And I personally, I, I fall in that camp. If you would like to talk with me about why I have that and the arguments I have, you're welcome to. Uh, but suffice it to say that uh, I, I, I could, again, I could do 20 minutes. I could geek out on it, but I'm not going to. But uh, it, it would be similar to this. I saw a beast, vast and mountainous, emerge from the darkness. It had hooves as dark as death and lightning flashed from its eyes. It beckoned me to ride it. I sat on the beast and in a flash we were off. We shot through the cosmos. Black holes and planets flew past in such a fury that they seemed to me colors instead of celestial bodies. I lost my grip. I was so terrified. The beast took me to one end of the earth, and as I gazed upon it, I was shocked, as if I had never been shocked before, and earth fell apart in my eyesight. That sounds, that sounds terrifying, doesn't it? I just described to you the time that I was on a runway horse. I horse came out of a barn. I was like, sure, I'll ride it. Jumped on the horse. Took off, couldn't control it. We ran into an electric fence. Both of us got shocked. But I use apocalyptic imagery to make it super dramatic. Because that, I mean, also, that's what it felt like at the time. It was terrifying being on top of it. It's, an, it's just another way of talking about what's happening right now. Either way you take it, if you fall in the camp that Jesus has moved into end time stuff, or if you think he's still talking about Jerusalem, we can still be friends. Not a problem. But here's the point, whatever way it is, here's the point. Jesus is making it extremely clear that the world is going to fall apart, whether it's going to literally fall apart or it's going to feel like it's falling apart for those who are in Jerusalem. At some point, the world is going to fall apart. And at some point for us, the world is going to fall apart. For example, I am really stinking hot up here, guys. I am super sorry, but this needs, this needs to come undone a little bit because it's just too much. It's going to fall apart for you. At some point, the world will fall apart, whether it's the world literally falling apart when Jesus comes back or the fall of America or just your own personal end-of-the-world scenario. At some point, the world will fall apart, and we as followers of Jesus need to make a decision as to what we're going to do. Are we going to follow after Jesus? Are we going to do what he commands? Are we going to preach the gospel and stay alert? Or are we going to give in to fear and be distracted? So what's distracting you this morning? On the broader end of the scale, we have the coronavirus. There are some of you who are listening to this sermon right now who you're still barricading yourselves in your homes. And maybe it's because you're high risk. Maybe you have someone in your family who's high risk. But even in these situations where maybe some of us still don't feel comfortable leaving our house, are you still preaching the gospel? Are you still reaching out to somebody? Are you still trying to bring encouragement? Are you being poured into? Are you still pouring into other people? And for those of us who have ventured out into the world, the same question goes. Have we let the coronavirus distract us 
Or are we still preaching the gospel? Are we living Jesus out? Do people know the hope that they can have in Jesus? Guys, if you had told me a year ago that one of the most divisive issues for the church would be masks, I would have laughed. I would have laughed hardcore. Yet here we are. There are some of us in this room who, you, what your decision to either wear or not wear a mask is based purely because you're trying to love your neighbor, because you're following after Jesus and you feel like this is what Jesus is calling you to do. Maybe you're wearing a mask because you're high risk. Maybe you're wearing a mask because you're not high risk, but somebody you know is high risk and you don't want to run the risk of giving them the virus. Maybe you've actually removed your mask when you're talking to someone because they're not wearing one and you want to make them feel comfortable. If your decision to wear or not wear a mask is based on your love for Jesus and following after him, that's the mission. But if you're here today and your decision on whether or not to wear a mask is so strong that maybe you've broken relationships over it, that maybe you're grumpy all the time because you just can't understand why people aren't agreeing with you, Maybe you're somebody here today who you can't wait for the conversation to come up because you can't wait to have an argument about it. Maybe you're somebody who has lost sleep over your stance on masks. If you've chosen to wear or not wear a mask based on like your rights or your comfort level versus your love for Jesus, you're being distracted. It's a distraction. For instance, when was the last time you preached Jesus on social media? And please know, I, I fully lump myself in with this, guys. I really do. It is really stinking hot here. I really do. I lump myself in with that. I don't remember the last time that I explicitly preached Jesus on social media. I don't remember the last time that I even implicitly preached Jesus on social media. So I want you guys to know, like, I'm up here talking a lot of stuff, but, like, I am also distracted. And we need to recognize that when this is happening, we need to get back to the mission. This past week during our prayer time, a common theme that kept coming up was that we're being distracted. We as a church, we're being distracted from the mission. We need to get back to the mission. We need to make sure we're preaching Jesus in every situation. When the world falls apart, don't get distracted and keep preaching Jesus. It's no use trying to guess when the end will come because only God knows. Only God knows, and we are called to stay awake. Jesus answers their second question. He says, remember, does anybody remember what the question was? Remember, the first one was about the fall of Jerusalem. When is the fall of Jerusalem going to happen? The second question was, when is the end times going to come? What's going to be the sign that the end times is here? And so that's the question that Jesus is moving into. And his answer is super simple. I don't know. That's what Jesus tells us. He's like, I, I have no clue. Only God truly knows, but we don't. And because of that, he's like, hey, he tells them this parable. And this parable is essentially that a master is leaving his house, he's left his servants in charge, and they don't know when the, servant, when the master is going to come back. So they need to stay alert. They need to be on guard. Because if the master comes back and they're asleep, that's a really big problem. That's huge. And I, I used to do this whenever I would stay home at Whenever I'd stay home during the summertime and my mom would leave, she'd leave a list of chores for me to do. I always waited until I saw her coming up the driveway to do the chores, and it never went well for me. Now imagine your Lord and Savior coming back, and you're found asleep. Jesus' warning is very stern. Do not be asleep. Stay on guard. And so we need, as a church, we need to ask ourselves, what does it look like to be asleep? The text would tell us that being asleep means being distracted. 
According to the text, being, being asleep means you're overanalyzing everything that's going on around you, and you're saying, oh, maybe this is a sign of the end times. I think being asleep means giving in to false teachers and false prophets, the people who are yelling the most during these times, and you just you give in to what they're saying. And that's a big deal. We need, as, as we as Christians, we need to be aware of what's going on around us, and we need to keep focused on the mission. And that's what Jesus means when he tells us to stay awake. The text is incredibly clear. We need to be on guard. He says be on guard four times in this passage. The idea is that you're on top of a tower and you're scanning the horizon for the enemy. We need to be on guard. We need to keep preaching the gospel. We need to be rooted in God's word. We need to be constantly in prayer so that we might stay awake. When the world falls apart, don't get distracted and preach Jesus. Have any of you been distracted by the fact that I've been undressing for the past 10 minutes? Yeah, yeah. Totally on purpose. I don't always do this. This is super awkward for me. I'm in front of a bunch of people undressing. I did that on purpose. Because here's the thing. We've been talking about really big ticket stuff, like COVID and wars and earthquakes and famine. But the truth is, something as simple as your preacher untying his tie mid-sentence is enough to throw you off track. I'm willing to bet... Most, if not all of you in this room, missed stuff that I said because of what you're watching me do. That was on purpose. And I myself was getting distracted trying to do this while I'm preaching. The point is that it's so easy for us to get distracted. It's so easy for us to get distracted. And so church family, I have a challenge for us this week. For one whole week, and I'm going to ask Joel to keep us accountable next week. For one whole week. No talk about masks, the election, or the coronavirus unless your intent is to love your neighbor. If you are perusing social media and you see a, a post about the election or the coronavirus and your heart's stirred up and you're like, ah, oh, I really, I need to tell them why they're wrong. I want you to hear my voice in the back of your head. You know, hear the Holy Spirit's voice, not mine. And I want you to hear the Holy Spirit tell you, don't panic. It's okay. Preach the gospel. Whoever it is that you want to send a private message to and tell them why they're wrong, instead of telling them why they're wrong, tell them the hope that they either have or can have through the blood of Jesus. We don't need more fear. We don't need more disrespect. We don't need more devaluing. What people need is Jesus. And in this world where things are constantly being tossed to and fro by the waves, we need to stay grounded and rooted in the gospel. I want you to tell that person that you love them. No matter where they fall on the spectrum, whether they disagree with you hardcore or they do agree with you, tell them you love them. Buy them coffee. Share the gospel. When the world falls apart, don't get distracted and keep preaching Jesus. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and worship and lead us in a song of worship. I'll go, I'll go ahead and uh, pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this day, Lord. We pray that you would take all distractions from us, Lord. Whatever it is in our hearts that's keeping us from fully being committed to the mission, whatever's keeping us from making disciples, whatever it's keeping us from loving on other people, would you strike these from our hearts? Would you remind us of the goodness of the gospel? Keep us rooted in that as we leave from this place. Protect us, Lord, from the things that would seek to take us from the mission. Bless us as we leave from this place in your name. Amen.